I don't know how often you pay attention to the videos that we choose before, and I know sometimes we play them over and over, especially in a sermon series, but that's the point of being a follower of Christ is that we are working to be a light, and we're working to be a light to others because the light of Jesus fills our heart, but we also need to understand that there's an enemy that's working against that, and when we say that we want to follow the path of Jesus, there's an enemy that works against us trying to undermine that in any way possible. And what we're going to talk about today in chapter 5 of Proverbs, avoiding seduction, is one of those areas that the enemy works in a very real manner. He works all the time in this area, and yet sometimes we feel like I can't talk about it or I can't deal with this, and so we're going to look squarely at what Scripture has to say about this today in this context. So I want to just kind of set this up by showing you a, a few things and helping you to be able to see what we're talking about. Look at this first picture. Anybody, anybody ever been around a campfire? Anybody have like a fire pit at their house? Don't you love the two days it's cold enough in Texas <laughs> that you get to enjoy the fire pit out behind? It's, it's great, but what happens if fire gets out and it's out of control? It's destructive, isn't it? It's, it's wildfires, it's burning, it's taking everything out in its way. It's putting people in a place where they're having to, to work and putting them in harm's way. How about this? Some of you are about to have church right now. There's church for some people today, right? The beach, everybody just calm down all of a sudden and you, you head out to the beach and this is your, your happy place. And, you know, when the water's there and the sand's here, it's great. But when the beach looks like this, it's not so much fun, is it? When the storms are coming in and it's overflowing on the banks and the boundaries and it's getting all over everything. Or how about this? You have me, mountain people with me, all right? You head up in the mountains, you got the nice, cool river there and the beautiful landscape. But then when that river gets outside of its banks, what happens? It, it floods. It takes care of everything. It's a mess. You see, I set that up to say this. In, in his creation, God has given us so many things that in its right context, they are a wonderful part of his creation. But out of their context, they're destructive, they're overwhelming, and they're even harmful to others. They, they break down relationships, they, they hurt things, they put other people in a place where they're having to do things that, that they shouldn't have to do. It, it can just get out of control when these things are out of context. And specifically in the area of sexual immorality or sex or anything in that area, it can get out of control fast. And so before we get into that subject specifically, I want to set the table one more way. I want you to look at Galatians chapter 5 before we talk about Proverbs chapter 5. I want you to notice something. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 22, look at these words. But the fruit of the Spirit... It means when Christ comes in your heart and we choose to pursue him and follow him, then we start producing these type of things out of our life. If we are in a pursuit of following Jesus, his spirit's living in us, and all of a sudden, here's the things that begin to get produced in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and then look at that last one. What's that last one? Read it out. Self 
self-control. And I'm going to finish reading this. We're going to come back to self-control is everybody's favorite fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Yay, self-control. It says, the law is not against such things. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus, look at this, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. So here's the first thing that I want you to see this morning before we dive into this, top, this subject of avoiding seduction. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Think about that for a minute. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Here's what this means to me. Self-control is a byproduct of pursuing the Lord. Self-control is not something you drum up inside of yourself and think, I've got the willpower to do these things. It doesn't work. God in his creation even understands that the only way that you actually have self-control is to focus your passions, your desires, your giftedness, your skills, and everything towards something, and that is God's glory. So as we pursue God, then what comes out of that is self-control, meaning that I am in such a pursuit of God that these other things around me that could or could not be a distraction become less and less relevant because my pursuit of God is helping me control my passions and my desires and all the things that are happening around me. So first of all, if you beat yourself up sometimes because you're thinking, why am I always struggling with this or that or why do I fall into this temptation or whatever, let me tell you that the godly solution to this is pursue the Lord and allow the fruit of the Spirit to develop in you in such a way because you're not going to be able to overcome whatever temptation you're dealing with in your life on your own. There's not enough within you to do that. The only way that that happens is when the self-control is a result of your pursuit of the Lord. You can't do it on your own. You see, one of the difficulties in hearing God's teaching at times is dealing also with the fact that we've already done things in life that are outside the will of God. We've already broken his law. We've already sinned against him. And we've sinned and we experience the consequences of our sin. And so then we put ourselves in a place where we think, well, there's nothing really I can do about it. And so since I can't live up to God's standard, then, you know, he just doesn't want to have anything to do, me, do with me or I don't know what I'm going to do. But listen, here's what you need to understand. The joy of following Jesus is that he can bring restoration in our life in broken places if we will follow him. Doesn't happen overnight. Doesn't happen immediately, but God wants you to have life so much in him that he fills your heart that you can be a light to other people, even amidst the brokenness. And as we've all fallen short of the glory of God, what we need to understand is that I can choose today to begin to pursue him in my life. And as I do that, the things develop in my heart and life that bring me love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And also it brings healing and restoration to my broken heart. Now there's one other thing I want to say before I read Proverbs chapter 5. I want to give you a note about personification. Solomon is using this literary device as an illustration for his son. And so he is personifying many things all throughout the book of Proverbs. 
And Solomon, since he's talking to his son, personifies them as a woman. Solomon is not making a statement that somehow this is only a man issue. He is not making a statement that somehow the problem with seduction is that all the women are acting seductively. That's not what he's saying. It is a literary way of speaking to his son where he is personifying things. Trust me, there's not a person sitting in this room right now that is not affected by what we're going to talk about today, period. Whether it's you personally, whether it's in your family, whether it's around you, whether something like that's happened, it's an issue that we all have had affect our lives. So let me look real quick, Proverbs chapter 5, at what Solomon is trying to teach his son. He says, my son, pay attention. Remember that from last week? Solomon was starting to get intense. He sees his son's eyes kind of glazing over. You know, he's having a good 10-minute conversation that he lost his son about two minutes into, that type of thing. And so Solomon goes, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen closely to my understanding so that you may maintain discretion and your lips safeguard knowledge. Though the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey and her words are smoother than oil, in the end, she is as bitter as wormwood and as sharp as a double-edged sword. Her, look at this. She doesn't cast her steps head straight for Sheol. Look at this. She doesn't consider the path for life. She, she doesn't consider the path of life. Well, what he's saying is these are the people that you come in contact with that are only living for their own pleasures and have no self-considering the path of life. They have no self-control in any area of their life, and they only live moment by moment by moment, and in doing so, they're leading themselves for destruction. They're not preparing for themselves for anything in the future. They're not pursuing anything of the Lord. They're just going at it day by day, pleasure by pleasure, moment by moment, desire by desire, and trying to deal with it, and it is a recipe for disaster if you live your life that way. That's what he is saying. And so I want to pause here for just a second as well and look at what's happening in this moment. Solomon is teaching his son. So I want to make a little note to parents this morning. When we're talking about avoiding seduction, this is a responsibility of parenting. It's your responsibility as a parent to have those wonderfully uncomfortable conversations at times. And not just conversations like the world tells us, but let me show you what's happening here. You need to prepare your child for what they may or more than likely will encounter in the world. Yes, part of our job as a parent is trying to protect our children from things in the world. But let's be honest, in this subject in particular, if you're going to protect your child from it, then you're going to need to dig a hole it's about that deep, put them in it, and then just cover them up and just tell them, this is how I'm going to protect you from this. You can't go anywhere, see anything, do anything, talk to anyone else, because it is so prevalent in our world and in our culture. It's coming at you from every angle and in every way. So it is our job as parents to dive into these subjects and teach them. And let me tell you, the Bible is not silent on this subject. It is all over 
scripture about how to deal with this. And so part is trying to protect, but the truth is we need to learn how to appropriately prepare in teaching them. Because here's the, here's the truth behind this. Things that we choose not to talk about, we're left to figure out on our own. Let that sink in for just a little bit. Look back on the times in life when you haven't been taught how to do anything or whatever, and you try to figure it out on your own. What usually happens is most of the time we're wrong a few times before we ever learn, or at the very least we discover that there's you know, a different way path and there's something that we should consider when we're doing these things. And so the best approach to these things is to appropriately address them and discuss them. And so we need to understand as we deal with this subject as well, that we all deal with temptation, every one of us. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't make you exempt from being tempted. And if we don't talk about how to deal with the times in life that we're going to be tempted, then we will fail at navigating through them. And I want you to, to notice that the church, I, want, I just want to stop for a minute and talk about the church. The church, since this is a subject that's a little bit sensitive, has erred at times. Sometimes they've just chosen, well, we're just not going to talk about those verses. We'll let them read that on their own. I'm sure they'll figure it out at home. You know, such a big deal that we're talking about this today that we sensationalize it just like the culture does. And what God is saying is, I created you. I know how you are. I know your desires. I know how you're wired. I know what you deal with. And so I write about it in my word so that you can navigate it correctly. Not just navigating it to avoid it, but understanding that I'm the one that created it. And so it's here for a reason. And in its context, it's right and it's good. And it brings glory to God and it brings goodness to you. But out of its context, it's destructive and it's hurtful. And you don't need to go there. So let me be clear. I'm teaching in Proverbs chapter 5, 6, and 7. I'm not talking about everything that has to do with this very multifaceted subject today. If you need answers, help, direction in this area, if you have questions, trust me, God's word's not silent on it. So seek out your answers from God's word and find people in your life that you can talk with about this and go to God's word and look out for it and see what we need to do because it is an issue that the enemy uses constantly to try to undermine people and keep them um, from experiencing the joy of what it means to be a light in life. And also, don't let the enemy, because I know, I know I'm a church, you know, I see the role, I understand the ages of people who attend everywhere from 2 to 102 at our church, and I've, I've even heard the comments before, well, I don't have to deal with that anymore, really? So your kids don't deal with it, your grandkids don't deal with it, your great-grandkids don't deal with it. You're not having to deal with the consequences of decisions from this about other people. and You don't have to deal with this anymore? Really. You do. And so God's Word is teaching us what it is that we're supposed to be doing in this area. So understand this. What Solomon is talking about specifically to his son is he's trying to prepare him that when you go out in this world... Here's the type of people that you're going to run into contact with. And so he wants him to be able to avoid those temptations. And so he talks to him about avoiding temptation. And there's some specific things about temptation that he teaches. So here's what we want to understand, that temptation, temptation begins. There's three things I want to give you to remember about how the, the beginning and the origin of temptations. And it's not just to do in the area of sexual immorality. It's in the area of everything in life. Temptation begins this way. First of all, it begins with language. And then looks, 
and then lingering. Those are your blanks there. Temptation begins with language, with looks, and with lingering. Did you notice that the first thing that Solomon said is he didn't say the, the looks of the forbidden woman. He didn't say the way that it appeals to your eye. He said the lips, the words that you hear, the things that are going on in your head. You know, because to be real honest with you, yeah, culture will tell you all the time that, you know, well, you know, men are just visual and women are this. But here's the truth. Anybody who hears words that strokes their ego and calms their heart is attracted to those words. Period. And when you start looking at yourself and thinking, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not feeling fulfilled here. Or I'm not getting connected here and I don't feel connected here. But here's this person and, boy, they like me and they like what I do and they complimented what I did. And they, they said that this was nice and I like hanging around this person. And your ears start, you know, getting filled up with things that you go, wow, this is, this is nice to be around. Someone who appreciates me. Someone who, who says nice things. Someone who's not dealing with this. It's usually the ears that are the most attractive thing at first, that begin to lead people off into temptation. And then that language, then it begins to lead to, to looks, right? Where, where, oh, hey, wow, you know, I noticed. Here, here's the truth about looks, okay? Looks are secondary, but the problem with looks is you're never going to be able to avoid them. Just because I got married didn't mean that every other woman on the earth became unattractive at that moment. And the same thing is true with my wife. We've talked about this. Did you hear me on that? We've talked about this as husband and wife, about these things. And when we go to a movie and she goes, that guy's cute, I don't go, I just go, yep, keep dreaming. That's what I, it's it's just kind of it. You know, when I say, so we we talk about these things that looks are going to lead us down a certain place. And, And here's the truth about looks. It's the same thing about temptation. Don't beat yourself up for being tempted. We're all tempted. We're all tempted. You can't drive from your house to work more than likely without running into a billboard, a poster, or something. You can't go on. You're not going to be able to avoid the looks. It becomes a problem when it turns into the next one, and that's lingering. And, and you start hanging around and staying in those places where your ears are getting filled by a source that shouldn't be filling your ears, and your eyes are getting filled by a source that shouldn't be filling your eyes. There's your blanket statement for the day that I catch. When your eyes are getting filled with things that shouldn't be filling your eyes and you're finding pleasure and satisfaction from that, that's not a good place to be. And then you linger in that place. Here's what scripture says about this pattern. James chapter 1 verse 14. Each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil Desire. I'm going to pause right there for just a second. And you're going to hear this come up again. Each one of us are tempted. But each one of us are tempted by different things. There's some things that are a temptation for you that don't bother me at all. There's some things that are a temptation for me that don't bother you at all. That's another part of God's creative goodness in our life. But the truth is we're all tempted. And how we deal with that temptation is going to, is that's going to pave the path for whether we succeed or whether we fail in life. Each person is tempted when we're drawn away and enticed by our own evil desire. Then look at this, verse 15. Then after the di- desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Quick process. 
This is an undermining thing that begins to happen in our life where we begin to say things to ourselves like, well, i got to be careful with this, or I understand, you know, well, they made that mistake. I'm not like this. Well, I can handle this, and they couldn't handle this. Or this doesn't, you know, apply to me, and we begin to compromise, and we begin to hang out, we begin to do these things, and then all of a sudden it grows into something that we can't handle anymore, and we realize that we've gone somewhere we don't need to go. Now, in the area of seduction, sexuality, sexual immorality, I want you to understand that the Bible is so clear on that type of temptation, I, I tend to chuckle because it's so clear of how God, who created us and knows our thoughts, our being, our inside wiring, everything about us, how he looks at his creation and says, here's how you need to deal with this if you are feeling tempted in this area. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Flee sexual immorality. Run, 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 go away, move the other way, look the other way, get away from it, go away, stop, go, move, get out, run away. Every time that Scripture talks about sexual immorality, it doesn't say, well, some people can handle it and some people can't, and, well, you just need to be aware of your story. It says, run, 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 get away, go away. You know why God says that? Because he wired you, and he knows what's inside each and every one of us. As everybody looks awkwardly straightforward today, as we talk about this subject, I'll just tell you, the first time that I went on a men's retreat, and some other man said that they are tempted by the things that I have only kept inside my head and my heart all my life, I was like, he read my emails. You know, I was, just like, I was so scared to even talk about it. But then you begin to figure out that, Satan is cunning, but he's not all that creative at times because we keep falling for the same thing. And the truth is, this is an area that destroys families. It's an area that destroys churches. It's an area that destroys communities. It's an area that destroys presidencies. It's an area that destroys a lot of things because we choose just to kind of not talk about it or we want to say that I can handle it or I can deal with this on my own when the Bible says run, run, run. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. I love that. Because Scripture doesn't just say stay away from it. It says here's what you should be doing with your body. Glorify God with your body. God's not just telling, and, and being a Christian is not about just, I can't do this and I can't sin and I don't want to make that mistake and I stay, away, I stay away from these things. God's offering us life. And he says that if I pursue him and I find life in the pursuit of Jesus, then the things begin to grow in my life. Love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those begin to grow in my life. And then I begin to glorify God with the things that I do. God is pleased. I am happy. This is how this works. And so I love the fact that Solomon's doing the same thing. Solomon's not just telling his son what to avoid. He goes on. He doesn't just say what to avoid. He tells him why he should avoid it because of the destruction that it could bring. But then he also tells him, here's what you should do instead. Here's God's ideal and how you deal with these things, okay? So let me just make this real clear, and then we'll come with all the, yeah, I have a question on this, questions, okay? What do we do? 
Here's the pattern in God's scripture. Find satisfaction in your spouse. Find satisfaction in your spouse. That's God's answer. And I know some of you are immediately going, I don't have one of those. So what do I do? We're going to talk about that. But let me look at the way that I love this. I wish I could make a bumper sticker, but then, you know, I'd be that guy with a bumper sticker. So this is what it says, Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, son. Do you not see them? Out, son, I got some advice for you. Just drink water out of your own cistern. What? What do you mean, dad? Drink water from your own cistern. Water flowing from your own well. Should your springs flow in the streets and streams in the public squares, they should be for you alone and not for you to share with strangers. Let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife of your youth. Now, the truth there is we could replace that with spouse. Take pleasure in the spouse of your youth. What's he saying here? He's saying God has designed this to be in the context of marriage. And when it's outside the context of marriage, it's destructive. And it leads you down a path that you don't want to go. Now, again, I've already said some of the difficulty in hearing God's word at times is that when we've already made mistakes in this area, we feel like that now God is shaming us. The God who understands sin so much that Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, sometimes it's hard for us to hear these things because for us to clean up our act and get it all right. And so sometimes it's hard for us to hear these things because, okay, I, I may have already messed up in this area. What do I do? You pursue God. You follow God today. And he will give you the path of restoration. What does restoration look like, Pastor? Different for everybody. So I can't answer that for you. But I can tell you, I promise you, if you follow God, he can heal broken hearts. He can heal broken relationships. He can mend things together. He can help you find glory and goodness in pursuing and following him. So as I said before, he's saying here, take pleasure in the wife of your youth, okay, what if I don't have one of those? Well, let's go on real quick and we'll deal with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, probably one of the most plain and clear passages on this type of subject in all of Scripture. And I want to tell you something before this. Paul is the writer of 1 Corinthians, and Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And here's something you need to know about Paul. Paul is single. Paul does not have a spouse when he writes these words. And so Paul writes these words down. Because Paul is a student of Scripture, and this is what he says. Now, in response to the matters you wrote about, could you imagine that? The church wrote to Paul about these matters. Isn't that great? He said, it's good for a man not to use a woman for sex. But because sexual immorality is so common, amen, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman should have sexual relations with her own husband. A husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise a wife to her husband. We're going to come back on these, by the way. A wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have his right over his own body, but his wife does. Do not deprive one another except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer, then come together again. Otherwise, Satan may tempt you because of your lack of, there it is again, self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all people were as I am, single. 
Paul said, I just wish everybody was single and didn't have to deal with this. But that's not where we all are. He says, but each has his own gift from God. One person has this gift and another has that. I say to the unmarried and to widows, it's good for them to remain as merry than burn with desire. Now, there's a lot of things that need to be said about this passage. First of all, it's one of the most misused and abused passages at times. I can't tell you how many times in talking with married couples that some spouse has taken this scripture out of context and beaten their spouse up with it when they have no idea what Paul is really, really saying here. You see, the picture of what Paul is saying is that God's idea is this happens in marriage. And he's saying that what happens in a marriage is that two people become one in a pursuit of God to glorify God. And so as the two are pursuing God, it is not selfish. It is saying that you have put yourself in a place where you're saying, I have a relationship with God, and then I have a relationship with my spouse that is most important, and my role as a spouse is to meet their needs, not their role is to meet my needs. So it is written where Paul is saying, this is how it should happen. You see, God has an ideal and a context for how these things happen that bring glory to him and goodness to us. So that's the first thing we need to understand. The second thing, that's not how you build a marriage foundation just on that and that alone. What he's saying is that if your pursuit of the Lord and your wiring is leading you as such that that you feel like that this area of your life is something that, hey, I don't know that I can be single and be alone and do this on my own and all this stuff. Then Paul says, with all of God's glory and goodness and blessing, then you need to pursue godly marriage. And you need to have all those desires put in check until such a time. And you need to trust the Lord to be able to do that. Now, that's God's ideal. And we can't water down God's ideal just because we can't live up to it all the time. And we can't just say, well, I can't live up to it, so God's just going to forgive me anyway. No. God wants us to be light to the world around us, and God wants us to have life like no other. And so what Scripture is teaching us is this is the path to do it in this area. We all deal with this. It has affected families and lives all around us. And God gives us an idea of how to pursue this in the right way. And when Paul says that, hey, I wish they were all like I was, but this isn't a reality, let me give you an example, okay? One of the hot-button issues in church as well is, is drinking, okay? And so I'll just tell you, as your pastor, okay, I've patient for me, ever. It just never has. And I know that people do that, and I know that some people sitting in here, as they all stare awkwardly straight ahead as I say this, do that as well, okay? And Scripture's really clear about the fact that we're against drunkenness, we're not against drinking, okay? And that's a whole other sermon, but here's my point with this, okay? Here's my point with this. I wish everybody was just like me and just said, I don't need that. It's not a temptation. It's not even there. I, I don't deal with that. But here's the truth. But maybe they're not. And so God deals with them in a different way. This is what Paul's saying. He's going, this isn't an issue for me. And for some reason, in Paul's wiring, it wasn't an issue for him. But he also said, I wish everybody was like me, but hey, they're not. And so there's a proper way to deal with these things. We need to seek the Lord on how we deal with this. Temptation is a very real issue for all of us, 
whether it's in the area of sex or not, it's a temptation somewhere. It's an issue for us somewhere, and we need to learn how to deal with this. So, ultimately, this is what this is saying. If we follow Jesus, that's when we find fullness of life. That's what Solomon is writing about. That's what all of this says is that that we are supposed to pursue Jesus in all the... Scripture tells us very clearly, seek first Jesus with all of our heart. We find fullness of life. Scripture tells us very clearly, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you as well. Meaning that all of these wirings and desires and thoughts and issues that may be in your life... They start to come into context the more that we choose to follow. You go home and read Proverbs 5, 6, and it's the truth about it, whether it be this area or not. You realize, I hope you go home and read Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. Because in Proverbs 5, 6, and 7, here are the two issues that come up all the time in Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 as Solomon leans into his son. Greed, money issues, sex and sexual immorality. Three chapters of him leaning into his son going, You're going to have to deal with these things. And let's think about it. Aren't those the things where a lot of people struggle? God's word is clear on this. If we follow Jesus, we will find fullness of life. Now, we're we're going to take a deep breath, and we're going to chuckle here for a moment. And here's why I'm going to say this. Because all week long as I'm preparing, I'm going, we're going to have an invitation. Ain't nobody coming forward on this invitation time (laughs) after a sermon like this. So I, I, I chuckle about that as well. But what I want you to hear on this is, is, is the truth, okay? Everything that we learn about and we teach about in Scripture, whether it deals with dealing, our, dealing with our temptations or handling things in other areas, it's all designed to point us to Jesus. And so the invitation is truly this. It's the same as it is every other day. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Find a way in your life that if there are areas that you understand that I'm struggling with, then trust him and follow him. And if this particular area, like I said earlier, isn't discussed by the church or isn't talked about at home in a proper context, then we're all left to figure it out on our own. But you don't have to do that because the way that you can navigate it, follow Jesus. He'll show you the path. So the invitation today is pretty clear. Will you follow Jesus?